Hi everyone and welcome to Monday Morning 8am, a podcast from Firms Consulting that goes out every Monday where we distill the insights from the noise. We make this available to our broader community even though it's primarily produced for our insiders and Slides members. If you are new to the podcast, you can go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash promo for all future insights that we produce. If you would like to listen to the podcast version of this, you can go to any podcast app and type in strategy skills. This newsletter is produced as a podcast within that channel. And finally, as many of you have requested, if you'd like previous episodes to the insights, you can go to amazon.com and search for strategy insights. The book is available that has all of the previous episodes available. As you're listening to the series, remember it's always about thinking how you will use the insights and training to make an impact in the world. What will you do? So today's theme, or this week's theme, is entitled The Best Minds Need to Be in Coal, Gas and Oil. And it's a very, very counterintuitive statement. I'll explain to you why I'm saying this. If you read any major news publication around the world, you're seeing two big trends. One is due to activist pressure, Major banks, the Japanese were big into this. The Japanese banks like Mitsui, well, they're not really banks, but they are holding companies that own banks or trading houses, I think you call them, which, and I suppose Mitsui Bank, which is part of the trading house, is a bank. But the Japanese are big into this, are withdrawing their funding of coal-fired plants, but also withdrawing their funding of coal mines. The other trend you're seeing is big mining companies are divesting coal, oil, and gas. Well, not so much oil, but coal, they're trying to push out quite a lot of it. And they're bundling them up into separate companies. They're selling them to people and so on. You're one of the smartest people in the world, obviously. Uh, You're someone who actually takes the time to listen to new insights about things. I want you to think through what we are doing and whether it's the right thing. And I want you to think about the opportunities that come up because of this and also the problems we are creating. If I, let's assume that I'm a good parent and I want my children all my little babies to have a bright future in the world. I don't want them to be coughing and suffering from all kinds of problems because coal mine leached heavy metals into the ground or a coal mine did not extract the gas and the noxious fumes from the you know, smokestack that was coming out. Would I want, well, let's flip this around a little bit so it makes more sense. Who do you want managing something that we know is dangerous? Right? So we know coal is going to be phased out over time but that time is a long way away so the question is who do you want managing something that we know is dangerous we know that if it's not managed well it's going to cause tremendous damage to the environment we know this it's a fact who do we want managing an oil field that we know there's a spillage it could destroy the environment who do we want managing a gas field that if they do not capture carbon correctly it's going to you know, cause untold damage. So who do you want managing? Do you want the world's top mining companies who have the brightest minds, the best engineers, who have boards of directors that have some of the most critical, well-governed processes in place, who are totally, well, not, not nobody's totally transparent, but who are listed in Western stock exchanges that have some of the highest reporting and disclosure requirements, who are scrutinized by hedge funds, private equity firms, investment funds who are held to account by a free, fair and viable free press who reports on everything they do, who have the money to fund the best research to manage these facilities in the best way, 
who have diversified portfolios of commodities and assets so that they can take a little bit of losses to do the right thing in managing coal. Who, when they want to shut down that mine, when they want to build a new mine, because they know because of the extreme pressure they have to do it right. So the question is, do you want that team managing it? Second, and here's the next part of it, do you want this team managing it? Do you want the team that is sitting in a country where they can buy and they want to buy coal assets because for whatever reason, the governance requirements, the disclosure requirements, the investment community, the press, the consumer is not worried about whether the coal is as clean as it could be, whether the mine is as well developed as it could be, whether everyone is safe as could be, whether when a mine is shut down, the press doesn't even report about it. If a new mine is developed, the environmental procedures are rushed through. This country has so little reporting and disclosure requirements that even if the free press wants to report about what's happening, they cannot. They can't get in. The government is supporting the company to do whatever is necessary to kickstart growth in this economy. So who, do, who, do you, who would you want? Would you want the, the A team or do you want the B, C or D team? Now, there are a couple of insights about what's happening with the whole discussion, oil, gas and coal. One, if we are pressurizing the best companies in the world to withdraw from, we can call it dirty power. I mean, it's, it is dirty. It's not a bad thing to say, it, right? It's not like we're vilifying oil workers and so on. I know many of them, they're wonderful people and I serve that sector as well. But you want those people to be in there. You want the best people, you want the best companies in there because if this is as bad as people say it is, let the best people manage it. Making the best companies withdraw from coal, oil and gas only works, only works if these coal and oil and gas assets are going to be shut down. But if all we're doing is we're transferring coal, oil and gas assets to companies that we know are not the best, then we are handing over a dangerous substance to someone who is not the best equipped to manage it. But it gets a little bit more layered than that. If you create a standalone coal company that is not part of a diversified conglomerate, that coal company is going to do everything in its power to stay in business. Because the shareholders of that coal company, the workers of that coal company, the management of that coal company, they don't have a fallback plan. They can't say, okay, we're managing coal as part of a process to do a phased drawdown over 10 years. And we know we can do this because we have diversified portfolio of other commodities that we're going to reinvest in and grow. No, if we're creating standalone oil companies, standalone coal companies, through as a mechanism through which the majors are going to divest, we are creating standalone companies that are, have a high self-interest, a very high self-interest in keeping that asset running as hard as they can, as long as they can. And again, I'm not saying these managers are bad. I don't think they're bad. But if you don't have the A-team, clearly they're not going to run it as well as the A-team would run it. So that's what we have to think about here. There's been a lot of newspaper articles how we're celebrating the withdrawal of the best mines in mining and resources extraction and power production. We, we're celebrating the fact that the best mines, the most accountable investors, are not going to be focusing on it. Actually, I would want those people focusing on it. You want the best minds focusing on this. So why is this happening, right? Well, let's think about this. 
The world has changed in two ways, which is significant. If you look at what happened after World War II, World War II was traumatic for every possible reason, but it also led to two significant changes. One is the withdrawal of the British Empire, or the, the Great Britain, away from its role as a global power and the arrival of the United States. And what the United States did is it created a set of global institutions that locked the United States in as the central and most prominent player, and it locked in the levers of American control, which is the dollar, as the levers of power. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what you should do if you're the most dominant country. And I think that's fabulous that they did it. And of course, whoever is going to come after the United States is going to do the same thing. And they're going to, that's the way the world works. So Bretton Woods, IMF, World Bank, American-led institutions. America has veto power. I think in all of them. I could be wrong, but I think in all of them. But if it doesn't have veto power, it's got the dollar. It's got the biggest military in the world. And it had, for a long time, the world's largest consumer market. So what are the two changes taking place? The first change. Previously, if you pressurize a Western, the so-called Western countries, that's um, usually thought of to be Canada, United States, most of Europe, Singapore, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and I think I'm missing one year. I don't think I'm missing any of them. I think that's really what has been considered to be the Western world. If you got these Western countries to not do something, the rest of the world had to follow in lockstep because if you blocked the US market, the European market, and the Japanese market, if your product was no longer available there, you couldn't go anywhere else, right? You had no, if you were sanctioned by the United States government, that's it for you. You can't use the SWIFT banking system. You can't do anything in the world because everywhere you go, the United States has some interest or allies. So in the old model, the system of activists pressurizing Western companies, Western consumers to do things worked because that was the only viable market. And as soon as you blocked access to that market, you basically there was nowhere to go. So what's the first big change? The first big change is the West is no longer the world's only viable market. You now have China, which is enormous. In some cases, bigger than the United States. Not in every case, but in many cases. It's not just China anymore. You've got India, you've got Indonesia, you've got Philippines, you've got Vietnam, which is posting crazy double-digit growth rates. The world has changed. While previously you could block one market and it was the only market, which is the Western Alliance, and constrict and modify behavior, now if you block out people from a market, they'll just go to another market. It's not about which market is right or wrong. It's about the fact that the reality is there are two markets. So what you have is you have activists who are running the same playbook they've run for many years. They're running the same playbook. And they expect the same outcome when the world has changed. The point is, right now there are big enough markets outside the so-called Western Alliance says that if you force the Western Alliance to do something, you don't actually fix the problem. You simply shift it to another part of the world. In, in a, and to be fair, in a part of the world where activism doesn't always work and there's no even culture of activism, even Japan, which is part of the Western Alliance, shareholder activism is a pretty new thing there. So that's the first insight, right? How do we work in a world where there are two decision-making authorities, there are two centers of power? You can actually arbitrage that. You can go to one place, 
you don't get what you want, you can pull your roots out and say, I'm going to serve this market and I'm not worried about the other market. And that, it's going to come to that. You can't change that. The other insight, it doesn't matter if we limit supply, if there's demand for it. If there is demand for it, there will be supply. That's the law of markets. If there's demand, there will be supply. That supply may be under the radar. It may be vilified. It may be ostracized in the press. We may not even talk about it, but there will be supply. So, and I mentioned this in the previous uh, Strategy Insights piece when we called it Monday morning 8 a.m., but I'm not going to go too much into it. But basically what I said is that if Indonesia, Philippines, China, and so on know to be successful and take care of their citizens, they need to move them up the income curve. To move them up the income curve, they need cheap power. Even if it's a little bit dirty, they're willing to do it. Are we saying that these countries are going to deliberately give up their growth just so that they don't use coal or oil or gas? Of course they're not going to do that. They are absolutely going to do whatever it takes to get those commodities to fund their growth. Because the more they grow, the more money they have to eventually fix the problems that they think they're going to create. And of course, there's precedent for that. I mean, if you look at places like London and New York many years ago when there were no proper sewage systems and no horses all over the streets, they were pretty grimy, terrible places. London was covered in smog for a large part of its industrial life. As it got wealthier and people demanded more, they develop things to fix it. So insiders, smart people, capable people, leaders of the world who want to do big things, you know it's not enough to just have this insight. What does it mean for you? What does it mean that we are now in a bipolar world? Not just a bipolar world about military conflict and China is buying a lot. It's a bipolar world whereby the decisions that were made, the institutions that existed, the assumptions that we're made for a world led by the Western Alliance, you need to rethink that. So this is what you need to do, right? You, whether it's for your personal life, whether it's for your career, whether it's for your business, whether you're putting together a letter for your CEO, which maybe you should do that. You gotta ask yourself this. What were the four or five biggest assumptions that underpinned all of the decisions, and of course should be the biggest decisions, you have made, your division has made, your company has made what are those decisions so on one side list three or four big decisions then list the five big assumptions and i'm talking about big macro underlying assumptions i'll give you an example of this right one underlying assumption is that to grow you just need to manufacture more no to grow you need more people you need more people that are getting older getting married and so on you can't do anything unless you have people so if you're investing in a country whereby the population is dropping you've got to rethink that very carefully or at least be aware of how you're going to extract value in a place where the primary driver of growth is being pulled away like in the case of china it's suburbanization so you know how it's going to happen so that's the first thing you've got to do. think about these assumptions the next thing you've got to ask yourself is who is going to benefit this is very important who is going to benefit from these changes now, when I say who is going to benefit, I don't mean which country is going to benefit. No, we know which countries are going to benefit. It's not a secret. Which sectors are going to benefit? Which types of companies will benefit? Which types of consumers will benefit? Think about that very carefully, right? Which types of consumers benefit? So you've got to do that. And the third thing you've got to do is ask yourself, if, at, if you're at a personal level, 
How do you personally benefit from this? Do you want to work for those companies? Do you need to serve these companies? Do you need to, I spoke about in a previous episode, create a law practice helping with divorces in China? How does your company get exposure to these companies, these sectors which are going to benefit? Do you get exposure by going in all in greenfields, M&A, joint ventures? And the final step is, what are you going to do to act on it? These are long-term secular trends. They're not going to change. The world isn't going to go back to a one consensus model. So if you're planning for that, you're making decisions for that, you have to change that. What does it mean for lobbying? Let's start with the most basic one, right? What does it mean for lobbying? You know, lobbyists, paid consultants that speak to politicians in certain countries. Lobbying is a big business. But what happens for lobbyists when their lobbying doesn't lead to the results they want? Yes, coal companies and coal assets are being divested, but they're not being closed down. Someone's going to pick them up. That's what you need to think of as an insider. That's the deep story. And now you've got to unpack each step. And remember, the most important thing is you have to act on this. Knowledge without action is just some scribbling on a piece of paper. Knowledge without action is a regret. And knowledge without action is an opportunity that you saw first and that later you're going to kick yourself when you didn't respond to it. Final thought before I wrap up. Notice how whenever I look at things, it's not about what is happening. It's about why it's happening. What are the implications? How will this play out? So as you think through things, in, we have a Western mindset to score things. That's the way we're taught. If you, you go to an MBA program, you go to any program, they teach you to, to look for flaws and criticize. It's the Western model. That's the whole model behind peer-reviewed papers, right? A peer reviews it, looks for flaws, criticizes it, changes it, or asks for you to never publish it or maybe retract it later. It's a good model. It's served us very, very well. But the problem with a the, with the critical mindset is we've We've assumed critical means to critique things. No, what you've got to do is you've got to ask yourself, every time you read about something, you've got to ask yourself, this is being done for this stated reason. Okay, so they're doing X to solve Y. Will Y be solved with X? That's what you've got to ask yourself. And then you've got to ask yourself, what's going to happen seven steps? Seven, you've got to say seven moves down the chessboard. What's going to happen here? 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 I would even say seven years down the chessboard. I would look at and say, okay, this year, what's going to happen? If this coal mining company spun out, what, what are they going to do? How are they going to manage it? Did it solve the original problem? No. Did it make the problem worse? Yes. You now have people incentivized with their salaries and jobs and their shares in one coal company their entire lives. And of course, you've incentivized them to keep this running as fast as possible, but you've incentivized people who are not the best at doing it. So clearly, they're not going to do such a good job. Then you're going to ask yourself, what's going to happen in two years? What's going to happen in three years? To this company to other companies who follow this activist route. And again, it's not that activists are wrong. They are doing the right thing. They are forcing companies to make good decisions. But it's even if they do it perfectly well on this side, it's not going to fix the problem because of the two changes. The one is the first change in assumption. We don't live in a world of one alliance anymore. And two, you've got to think about what will happen if demand is always going to be there. And those are deep implications for the world. As always, I look forward to joining you next week, Monday morning, 8 a.m., as you try to make some big moves in your career. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. 
It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.